0: Wait, I need my hat. I can't wear these. I can't wear this without a hat. Yeah, wait wait, wait. Stop. Nah, no, no, I'm not doing it. I'm
1: not doing it. D- uh, uh, I'm out. definitely here, not doing that. Yeah, uh, no computer. Right? What
2: about?
3: Oh, now it matters. What about that one? There what about this one? one? That's dope. Put that on. There you go, buddy. Look at this. Oh. So exciting.
2: Yeah. One for me? Yeah. Okay, I will let you know that I. You're in this book too. Am I? Yeah. I think I have like five Red holes. I bought. I did buy a copy. I might have set the record, by the way. For Rit in a book. What's the record? Uh, What's du- the record? Dude, congrats. Congrats. <laughs> Probably <Josh> my book. <laughs> Barry, you. Nick. Nick is not in. Blair? It. Anthony. Tony, okay. Tony and uh, who am I? Ben.
3: Oh, you got Tony Isola in here? Yeah. All right, now definitely. He's, really-
2: w- he's one of the people in the end that I say is carrying the torch.
3: Okay. Is this a Wiley is. production? Who,
2: who, who you did this? Heard, Anthony's a good interview. Yeah. He goes off. I was gonna. I was <laughs> gonna he's
0: say. He's underrated. I Tell think. Josh. T- tell tell Eric about Tony's first blog.
3: Oh, dude. We so we we hired Tony. We hired Tony right after we launched the firm, like two years after, and he was one of the first people we hired. Like that was already an advisor, and it's him and his wife. And Tony's like, we we make a deal like on the spot because we love him immediately, yeah. and he's like. You know, my blog. What about my blog? I'm like, you get to keep it. He's like, no, but I want to keep doing it for the firm. I'm like, yeah, of course. Let's take a look. And his blog is called Malice for All. Just ready to murder people. There's blood splatter across his logo. I'm not even making this up. And the theme of the blog is I'm going to kill these people that are ripping you off. (laughs) Like I'm going to end them. So I'm like, all right, here's a deal. We're going to bring your blog on, but we're going to change the name. And yeah, maybe calm down a little. And maybe tone it down a little bit. But it was like um, about annuity salespeople yeah. that were pillaging faculty lounges all over America. He's like
2: one of those teachers that goes in – like, it, it, or a cop that decides to purposely do 100%. central – uh, South Central Los Angeles Like He's, to, he's going 100%. to the worst Possible yeah. place he's To like, do what he does He's like Joe Clark He's Joe Clark That's it Right So he I would, get I kind of get his like who, Who's Joe Clark? The,
3: uh, lean on me The principal me that like Went into went the worst Newark. school In Newark uh, you, guys, you guys are Xers That's true <laughs> Xers are honestly the, the more time goes by The more I'm convinced Like Ek, the Xer we, we is are the, the pinnacle of society. Wait, I, saw, it is. I
0: saw a chart yesterday. I can't
3: remember is. who did you know, we it. We got DiCaprio. We got Tiger Woods, Dude, Brady. Uh, that's not We bad. invented rap music. Yeah. like what, and a, what Indie, a, grunge,
2: Kirkwood. We have all the good stuff. How about we grew up we really outside?
3: One of my favorite memes is like- Do you uh, have Nick Cage? Is Nick Cage an Xer? He might be a little bit older. Was, hey, he's not a boomer. It was a meme like, don't, don't mess with my generation. We woke up in the morning, went outside, built a tent, walked in a, an abandoned building- uh, jumped over train tracks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no. So, so I saw a chart yesterday showing it. like population birth between like, and, and it just completely missed 64 to 81.
2: Yeah. They don't even. And somebody it.
0: tweeted, uh, I guess there are no babies in 64 to 81.
2: Yeah. Whenever they do the, the, anything that's generational in financial articles, it's always boomers, millennials, Z, and now Z. 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 They don't yeah. even mention us. Yeah. There's an ETF for Gen Z, an ETF for millennials.
3: But, but we like it that, that – that, what's cool yeah. is that we like it. Like, leave us yeah. out of your bullshit. We hate you
2: yeah. both. No, but well, wait, you, the question is, Did you who ever see the parents? meme of, of the millennial and the boomer yelling at each other and the Gen Xer feeling the Gen Z's Halloween um, uh, bucket with uh, vodka? It's so perfect.
0: How old are Xer's parents? Like, what's that generation?
2: Silent, are your parents si- boomers? Uh, oh, old
3: boomers. Silent generation. Old boomers. Yeah. No.
2: I'm definitely – my dad is definitely a boomer. Wait, so well, you grew up on like Bob Dylan and wait, all that how, stuff. Who
0: are the yeah? The my grandfather is World War II. First boomers. What year was your dad born? Because my dad's
2: 59.
0: Okay, so my dad's fifty three.
2: Yeah, uh, he must have had you a little. Like, how old was he? Wait, my dad was twenty, like two or three, when he had me. That's like I
0: was a third. <laughs> That's probably so my why dad was a little bit older. They got divorced. Yeah, same. <laughs> I ruined <laughs> I ruined everything. Sorry, dad <laughs> and mom. Nick Cage, six, nineteen sixty four is when he was born. He's right on the cut. He's on the cut.
2: He's got elements of both. He really does.
0: He doesn't have boomer energy. He's a weirdo. That's that's all. He's just weird.
3: It's all X. No, the quintessential Xers are like Winona Ryder, um, Kurt Cobain. Oh, oh, oh! um, uh, Like, like
0: Mero's Place. Uh, A lot of Xers
2: like Winona, I think, are reinventing themselves lately. Like they, they kind of shifted out of. That, you know, she was in Reality Bites and all that stuff. Alyssa Milano.
0: Now, now cool she's mom. the mom. Yeah. Cool Alyssa mom. Milano and Nev Campbell. What's that show that they were on? Something five?
3: Party of Five. No, Melrose. But I'm no. saying like the boomers that most. No, those are Xers. I mean the Xers that are most emblematic. When you ask an Xer, like, who is one of you? I feel like it's like a very small list that we all agree on. Eddie Vedder? No. like uh, Yeah, of course. He's one of us. But I feel like. I feel like Winona is like the top of the pinnacle. Yeah, uh, the
2: top of the. the Also, she she had that kind of like, she was in every movie. She 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 had
3: the rise, the wilderness, and then the the and then the sort of adulthood, and then she had
0: Alien Resurrection. Uh, uh,
3: (laughs) and then Kurt, and then like Tupac. They all died. Oh, all the dead. all the rock stars of your age. Only time? only Eddie Vedder is alive. Seriously, <laughs> did you ever process that that we lost every it's, rock star?
2: Well, if you go back and listen, especially Alice in Chains, um, Lane I Stanley's mean, dead. Th- th- the lyrics are hardcore. I mean, yeah. they are real. They Compared were her- to some they of the shit coming out now, it's they were like, heroin guys. I know they had, they had a lot going on. They weren't, they, but they were creative too. So uh, and, and they were all. You know, I have a theory on why it came from Seattle. Because the weather sucks, I, I have this theory on like there's a correlation between it's bad weather, it's depressing. Yeah, so they they just hung inside and, and wrote music yeah. and did drugs and whatever, yeah. and that's why it's also I think our generation was very creative. We didn't have cell phones, we couldn't like text, so we had to just do stuff. So I think that's a combination that per- produced a lot of good art. Dude,
3: uh, Chris Cornell's dead.
1: That's so Scott Weiland is dead. That was dead. bad. Yes. Chris the, Cornell's dead. The bad. guy from uh, the guy from Blind Sublime,
3: that nobody knows his name. Yeah, Taylor. Blind, a guy from Blind Melon's dead. Um. Who else is dead? Everyone. Taylor Hawkins just died. Taylor Hawkins just died. Not a lead singer, though. We're, like, being very specific. I Definitely say, counts. Definitely counts. Yeah. Um, we're missing what Biggie. Uh, what? Biggie Tupac?
2: No, 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 no. We're missing a big one from
3: the, that era who is dead. The, uh, Cornell. It's and maybe easier not. to do who's alive. Well, Far- yeah. Farley was kind There's of a rock, only rock star. Bi- only Billy Corgan and uh, Eddie Vedder are alive. Everyone Green, else is dead. Pretty much Green it.
0: Day. They're not dead.
3: They were, were there, a little bit later. later. They were a little they're later. Not, they're not yeah. grunge. They're not the same. All the
0: grunge guys yeah. are dead. But wait a minute. Greening Screaming Greeny's Trees, I think, died same too. Day, same year. If, if Greeny Greeny he's, was if he's not
3: dead, I would not sell him life insurance right now. It's, it's terrible. <laughs> what do I do from Spin Doctors to see alive? Come on, stop it. What? That's We're not claiming Spin Doctors. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's not, all not you. what's happening. What about Nickelback? That's all me.
2: Come on. All right, now we're done. Hey, did you ever see the movie Multiplicity? Where Michael Keaton. Yeah, it's underrated, right? get Every copy gets like worse and worse. Nickelback, to me, is the third or fourth level <laughs> copy of Pearl Jam. Too, too easy. Nickelback. Wait, they're after Creed. So, so Pearl Jam, uh, Stone Temple Pilots, Creed, Creed, Nickelback. Oh, that's savage. Yeah, that's Nickelback's like easy. the band version of the, the
3: guy <gasps> from Multiplicity who tried
2: to put pizza in his wallet. Do
3: you know that Mark Zuckerberg made a Nickelback joke, and there was a backlash led by Avril Lavigne, who is married to the Nickelback singer. She is. She like did this whole thing like, how dare you use my husband and his band as a punchline, blah, blah, blah. And then she divorced them like six months later. <laughs> can we just say speaking of
0: nickelback? That's the best analogy I've ever heard. Blaming ETFs. What the, what's the analogy?
2: Oh, blaming ETFs for a bubble in the stock market is like blaming um, uh, MP3s for nickelback. <laughs> oh my god. So good.
3: Uh, think about so Mike. Good. Think about Mike's the generation of bands Michael grew up with. It's like some of the worst shit. You what are can you talking about? Of. Live? It's like uh, seal it's like um, <laughs> some 41 <laughs> no I was like 15 Did when that say happened seal
0: yeah I said seal <laughs> Dude, Kiss, Kiss from her, Kiss from a Rose was huge I was like it's 9 years a, old I'm kidding, I'm kidding I'm kidding alright big song alright uh, Eric thanks for, for the, coming what are you talking about? I grew up on Nirvana that was early 90s alright I'm trying to how we old, were we old were you we in have like to start 93 the party. at a certain point Eight.
3: we have to start the podcast but I had all the siblings I was listening yeah yeah totally Welcome to The Compound and Friends. All opinions expressed by me, Michael Batnick, and our castmates are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.
0: Today's episode of The Compound and Friends is brought to you by CraneShares, who is known primarily for their China internet ETFK web. But did you know, Duncan, that they also have uh, a suite of carbon allowances ETFs. Ben and I actually had them on a podcast a couple months ago talking about the CraneShares Global Carbon Strategy. So they're doing all sorts of interesting things. They've got some fixed income, some global thematic, above and beyond just uh, the China internet exposure. They've got a lot of stuff going on. If you are interested in learning more about CraneShares, visit them at craneshares.com. That's with a K, craneshares.com.
3: It is back. All right. John, John is, is back. Welcome back. Good to have you.
0: Oh, shit. I didn't tell you are on the cover.
3: I'm on the cover of this book. There you you go. got to it. Duncan, how are you, my friend? I'm good. good. Yeah? Yeah. That's all you got for me? I,
4: I mean, yeah, I'm ready to go. Nicole, right. say hi into the mic.
3: Yeah.
1: Hi, everybody. <laughs> all,
3: right. <laughs> all right. Gang's all here. And, uh,. Is this your second appearance with us, Eric? It is. Okay. You guys were uh, generous enough to have me back. That's and- how lazy I was. I didn't write down the bio that I wanted to do for you, but we're going to let you fill that in. You are the host of one of the best podcasts in finance. It's called Trillions, put out by Bloomberg. How many years have you been doing that now? Uh, four or five. Okay. Same yeah. co-host, right? Yeah. Joel Weber, the editor yeah. of Businessweek. You guys do a great job with that. And what are you, are you putting something out every week? Every other week. Okay. Do you ever take a break? No. Okay, it's, we just, it's exhausting, right? Well,
2: also, it's sponsored, so they, had, they have a contract. You need to pump out 52 episodes, so the producer's <laughs> hardcore about it. So
3: if you guys were like, we don't feel like it this week, they would just find two more people coming? Yeah,
2: and occasionally, I have an idea for one in, in a week between the two weeks, and they're like, no. So it's both, <laughs> just, just stick to the 52. No, no
3: spontaneous pods. <laughs> All right, shout out to Trillions. And you pop up on Bloomberg uh, bylines, you're writing, uh, and you're on Bloomberg TV once in a while.
2: Yeah, well, they, I, they reincarnated or resurrected a show that I co-hosted with Scarlet Food called ETF IQ, which mm, is on every – Takes me right
3: back to my childhood.
2: It, <laughs>
3: they resurrected
2: it, it. Did anyone know it left? No. OK. Yeah, you're right. It's true. <laughs> I, I, well, no, no, no he, I, he I, I will say. Like
3: it's like we brought friends no, no, back. Yeah, we, <laughs>
2: it, well – Listen, it, it's important to me. Shout out to Scarlet Foe. Yeah,
3: so there
2: was a couple people who tweeted at me after the show was off for a couple weeks. They're like, wait, is your what show ha- on? It was like five people. <laughs> like, you
3: got canceled.
2: <laughs> no, I said that all the half an hour shows on Bloomberg went dark because all the producers had to work from home and they could only do like the regular show. And the specialty shows were all shut down. So over the past couple of months, they've been re-rebirthing all these shows. And so now it's Matt Miller, Katie Greifeld and myself. Doing a show on ETFs every Monday at one PM. Okay, we'll look. We'll look for that. We'll look for that. How's uh, Matt Miller doing? He's good. He's he's really fun to work with. He's uh, energetic and yeah. good at improvising. Is he bald? Do, uh,
3: yeah. You know, uh, yeah. He's a fellow bald. Yeah. Do, you, yeah. do you know that he had a late night show on Bloomberg? Yeah, I remember it. He's talked Grateful Dead lyrics and before stuff. Before I was doing CNBC, that was like one of the only shows that booked me. <laughs> and it would be like Matt Miller, me, uh-huh. and like another guest it could be anybody it could be another bloomberg reporter or it could be like a chief strategist from janny montgomery or something and he was nuts yeah like he would he would spend like 15 minutes talking about motorcycles and i'm like are you sure this is on the air (laughs) like people are gonna watch this yeah it was like 8 p.m or something like that Uh, well that's late night for for yeah it's like late night
2: yeah honestly i i think the network needs a little that I, i miss i think that show i remember watching it and just it was very laid back. No, he
3: had a great. He was like Craig Kilborn. Yeah, he had a great personality. They should. They should have made that. They should have kept that going. They need more of that I on financial so.
2: television. I think they need different kinds of programming that, to uh, just accent this sort of like
3: I don't know like Tesla Fed yeah. or repeat right because uh, that never gets old. <laughs> uh, today's show sponsored by Crane Shares. Yep, that right. Okay, right. so that we're going to talk about that a little bit. That's a big ETF story. Uh, right now. That might have been the story of 2021. I think it's a big... I think it's a... Uh, top 10? One of, one of. Top, top 10. 10, top 10. Mm-hmm. All right, but you are an ETF.
2: That mate. was a buy the dip. No. Buy the dip. They with kept buying of, it. I know. We've never seen anything like that. It was like it was like that scene from Wolf of Wall Street. We're not leaving. Yeah. They were not going to leave. They in were the, like, this is going to go up.
0: The fund fell 56% in 2021 and the flow it Took in $8 billion. Ca- there so, has
3: never so. been an ETF that's, that's had price action versus uh, inflows like that ever. I, I would no, say. No, not to that...
2: Not to that degree, and also it's such a specific fund. China Internet, it's now the biggest China ETF.
3: Yeah. Bigger than the broad ones. Well, it makes sense that that's more popular than, uh, I don't know, China Utility Fund. Like I don't <laughs> think anyone's waking up in the morning <laughs> and saying they got to be into well, that. Well, I'm
2: going to say it's bigger than like MSCI China
3: that's ETF. Uh, I, do be- I do believe that that would be true. So um, before, we, before we do anything, and we're going to get to this later, but I do want to mention that you are the author of a forthcoming book, for the people that turn this show off within like a few minutes, I just want to make sure we get to this. So this is called uh, The Bogle Effect. And how long have we been working on this? About two and a half years. But there's some
2: stuff in there that has just been research I've been building for five, six years.
3: Yeah. Um, I think you're the right guy to have written this too, because you've got a front row seat for just the, the ETF industry exploding into trillions in assets and how influential Bogle's ethos, is that the right way to put it? Like his- I, I don't know. He wasn't a huge ETF fan even. No. But I think he had a big influence on the ETF industry regardless.
2: Yeah. Um, one of the reasons that I wrote it is I started to make a lot of connections between what he did in the 70s, setting up a mutually owned fund company and things that happen today that you don't really think are tied to him. For example, with ETFs, um, when the first ETF was going to be created by Nate Most and Steve Bloom of Amex – they went to Bogle and they said, why don't we trade the Vanguard 500? <laughs> Bogle's like, get the hell out of here. Get out of my office. I hate trading, yeah. but you're a nice guy. Here's some um, tips on the design. I think you could use some help on that. And they went up and sold it to State Street and the rest is history. But when they priced it, the expense ratio, they priced it the same as the Vanguard 500 index fund, which was 20 basis points. There's no, it's my theory, and I'm, I, I feel pretty strong about this. No Vanguard, maybe that happens, but it's 80 and if it's 80, it could be used as a niche trading tool, but it does not sweep the country. So You don't even think it
3: would have gotten down to being a cheap product eventually? I don't think so. There's no I,
2: incentive for anyone to do it, right? Almost, if as you, Wall Street asset managers, they're whole, they're incentivized to try to get the most right. from the client. He's just an anomaly. And that's why now a lot of the industry is governed by Vanguard's mutual interest structure. So
3: the reason the ETF inherently began as a cheap um, way to get market exposure is because Bogle took a lunch with the guys that launched the first ETF?
2: Yeah, and the fact that he just had ha- – the Vanguard 500 index fund was launched. And yeah. it, it, by that point, it hit, got whittled down to 20 bit basis points. I think it started at like 50. But that mutual ownership structure keeps lowering the fee every year. So it was at 20 when Nate Most launched his ETF. And to price it at 20, that's a good start for that industry. Because that sort of sets the tone that these things are supposed to be cheap. Had it been, but it didn't or, have to be that way. It didn't have to be that way because Nate Most and Steve Bloom, honestly, right. they were, what, they if try- he,
3: what if he pitched the idea to Ron Barron first? <laughs> it probably wouldn't have been twenty basis yeah, points. Yeah, probably one hundred
2: and fifty. Right. And you know what? They would have gotten away with it because I th- they wanted to have a trading tool. So, and you know from ETFs that are trading tools like the leverage ones, they're ninety five basis points. Nobody cares because you does. trade it. Yeah. But by making it twenty, it really I think opened the door and inspired when uh, Barclays got. ETFs that, hey, this could be a retail product. And so, again, that that influence is major. So yeah. I, I premise that ETF industry would probably have, you know, four or five percent of the assets it has today if there was no Bogle and, uh, you know, mutual ownership structure. So a lot of the book really comes back to the fact that, you know, indexing is – there is no such thing as passive. Like the S&P is run by a human committee. It's just large caps. Everything's active, really. But what what's good about indexing, what people love it, is because it's cheap. And so my premise in the book is that really um, it's low cost that is the thing, not necessarily indexing. It's just that it happens to be indexing was one of the things that he made low cost. Well, would you say low cost and low turnover? Low, I, yes, you got it. That, and this brings up the right, main thing. The theme. committee
3: is not picking new stocks every week. That's where it's different than an that, active you're right. fund.
2: Right. You're right. But you are making a large cap bet. You have no small yes. caps in there. You probably have a little tilt towards growth. But the S&P is great. Uh, Bogle liked it, although he preferred the total market uh, sure. at the end of the day. Same but sure. I think – The main theme of the book, and and I almost called it this this title, was addition by subtraction. I feel like that's generally his life's work, Mm. was taking what you were getting and then start to take stuff out of it. Let's take a little of the expense ratio. Let's take some trading out, turnover,
3: brokers, this, that, and the other. And then you're left with basically the whole market with no friction. You know what he wasn't really taking out of it though or what Vanguard doesn't take out of it? The marketing spend. Like that part stays. It's just that there's no 12B1 fees. They're not like they're not like charging the, the the shareholders to help them do more marketing, which, which is, is a very peculiar thing about the f- traditional 40 act fund.
2: It is, and I think that was one of their big sins and why they got so disrupted. The 12b1 fee, the promise was, hey, we're going to take your money and market the fund, and that will lower the cost, and we'll get big, and then we'll lower your fee. But they, they, n- they never did. They never did. So. <laughs> Right. I have a whole chapter basically looking at why active mutual funds were so disruptable. I think if they had passed on a little of the economies of scale, I don't think they would have been as easy to disrupt by Vanguard and index funds. But
3: there was just too much money. I know. And nobody does, well, nobody I, does that voluntarily.
2: I admit in there. I'm like, look, if I had one of these companies, I would sponsor a sports stadium. I would hire new people. I'd get a cool new office. I'd buy a third home because I'm I'm just – that's – I admit it, but that's why the book's on this guy. Because yeah, he was no, weird.
3: So you, sir, are no Jack Bowman. No,
2: not at all. I'm, I'm just, weak, and I would, take, I would just... Let's just yeah. establish hey, wh- that.
0: One, one more thing aside from just the index one, which is obviously revolutionary, is like his whole ethos of stay the course.
2: Yeah, so there's a ch- section in there about the 60s. He um, went into the 60s at Wellington. He kind of sold his soul out to this growth the, manager. The go-go years. The go-go years. And when the 60s crashed into the 70s, he had basically and i think you had it in your big yeah. mistakes book he had made wellington which was supposed to be prudent and balanced pretty much an equity fund and it went down the same as the market it provided no protection like it did in the 29 crash and he i think really that tattooed in his brain forever and at that point he was like i'm never going to sell donuts again and so if you look at his speeches whether it's in the go 80s go or funds the 90s or donuts yeah like the like a sweet, sugar like a sugar sugar yeah. yeah in the book he compares uh the reason he um, went and merged with those growth managers was that he said, I felt like I they was selling to. bagels, but everybody wanted right. donuts. He felt yeah. he had to. So I, I By the to, way,
0: those those investors were like the Jerry Sy was the Kathy Wood of, of his time. Absolutely. Was
3: yeah, this, there's that, a lot of parallels. That cycle, that cycle will never stop repeating itself in some way, shape, or form. Yeah.
2: But that's what makes the stay the course also something I think he deserves credit for because the speeches – there's a book called Character Counts, which he wrote, which is all the speeches in the 80s and 90s. It's kind of cool hearing him give a speech in like 86. And I'm thinking, well, I'm, I'm basically trying to collect a Don Mattingly rookie card. This is where the movies that are popular. And the speech sounds exactly yeah. like he would say yeah. it in like – Years ago. So buy and hold comes from him. Totally. And he just, I think the 60s were like, I'm never ever going to take the bait again, no matter how tempting it is. We're just going to stick to this premise and lock into it. And that's hard to do given how uh, seductive some of these cycles are. But I are. like
3: how he had to personally blow himself up doing it the wrong way to arrive at that message. And it, that's so important for investors to hear. Like these people who are on the Mount Rushmore. They screwed things. I mean, Michael wrote a whole book about this. They screwed up, and that's why they figured out the right way to do this. So it's okay if you blow up your first or second portfolio iteration. Like you can, you can learn from your mistakes and look who else had to. Pretty much everybody else who matters.
0: Also, a very underrated communicator. His books were good.
3: Yeah, I, I have a whole uh, review of some of the books in the
2: back, and I rank them. And he, as as he got older, he got looser and a little more savage. <laughs> but he he was really oh, a good dude, writer the
3: last few few years where i don't give a fuck jack yeah. and he fire would, and brimstone like like vanguard would spend like 30 million dollars promoting um their emerging markets ETF and bogle would just be like don't buy it
1: <laughs> yeah so it, it's don't funny
2: it. you noticed that because don't um,
3: buy emerging markets or ETFs for that matter next question
2: i, I found that fascinating um because the first time i ever interviewed him the first time i walked in he goes Did you see the the FT article? And it was about him trashing ETFs. And he goes, that got me into a lot of trouble around here. They don't even talk to me anymore. They talk to the media. And he's – he just I could tell there was this pretty big rift between him. And he's right on campus. They're like 100 yards away. And I just – that was the first time I got exposed to this. But then as I started researching his books, talking to him, and re-listening to my interviews, I realized this guy trailblazed so many things. Smart beta, quantitative investing, at least democratizing it, ETFs, international – Vanguard rules in all these areas, and he would just dump on this stuff like all the time. And the only – and he really – he got to the point where he was like anything that wasn't the total market index fund
3: was garbage. Dude, you know how funny that is like conceptually? You picture like Ben and Jerry's, but like Jerry is sitting there like like, trashing ice cream or anything that's not chocolate and vanilla. yeah, And they have – Eighty-eight yeah. flavors. Cookie dough's garbage. <laughs> He's like, "What is this with Jimmy Fallon on the pint? What are we doing here? This garbage! Like, it's 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 amazing that he would just be off the reservation all the time." But to Vanguard's credit, uh, they were—I I mean, they were okay with the, what choice that were they going to fire him. <laughs> but uh, to Vanguard's credit, they they weathered that that uh, push and pull and let him continue to be vocal and hey, not me, that you could have stopped him.
0: Before we get to our first official topic. I just saw an article. This is from Bloomberg. It was syndicated by an advisor Hub. Uh, long-only mutual funds trailed their benchmarks on average by a full percentage point last month, the worst performance since 2002. And you've made this point that people like bash index funds or they're responsible. And Bogle makes this point over and over. Active managers set the benchmark, right? They are the ones that are determining how much money is going into Apple and Amazon and Facebook and indexes are free riding on that. So how is it? in a month, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, like where a lot of these tech stocks underperformed last month, that the active managers,
2: that wasn't their time to shine? Good question. Um, on My guess, just, just, I haven't looked at this, but my guess is that they tilted into some of those high growth fang names a little too much because sort of like the way a bond manager might Actually, tilt we're, into we're, high we're, yield.
3: We're doing this later and the answer is oil, not, not uh, tech. But oh, well, they didn't have oil. They didn't right. have oil. They didn't have oil. That's almost part that's of, out of the – so, that's, so, that's almost the other side of the coin. oil
0: so tiny. That can't even move the benchmark. Yeah, but
3: when oil goes up 40, uh, 40% in a quarter, it, it does affect. It does affect your, your
2: – But My guess is let's say the S&P was 25% tech, 2% oil. What were they like? Zero and maybe 30 yeah, something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah yeah. Yeah. It do, it does, like yeah, yeah, it does. That's like ESG
3: fund. It does matter. We're gonna do that later. Uh-huh. Um, this week, the big story was uh, direct indexing at Fidelity and Schwab, and I, my take on this: Look, they have to do it because this is where the puck is going. Vanguard, and Vanguard and did it too. Vanguard did it too. So, like F- Vanguard, Fidelity, Schwab, God bless all three. We're clients of all of them. We're we're fans of all of them, but they are engaged in like this never ending me too competition on a very big scale. If one of them does something, the other two have to have an answer. Yeah, and you know, you never know which one will do it first. You just know the other two will be right behind.
2: It, you know, um, I know we did direct indexing last time, and I think we kind of covered it all. Let's run it back. Yeah, we're just going to play that. You want to go smoke a cigarette or something? <laughs> no, I don't know if you want me to like pounce on the direct indexing thing, or well, what do you? Because I right. have another point about your uh, the big three and stuff. Yeah, just, just a, por- a point in the book which I I just want to highlight because. I didn't There's know going
3: to stop at this book. I God. know.
2: <laughs> well, it, it speaks to the idea that all these firms are in competition now, and it's like who can be cheaper. But he, this was his dream scenario, and he had this fr- quote in the in one of his books where I was like, "Oh, I can't believe someone would say this." He's like, "I'll know that the Vanguard mission is complete when we start seeing our market share erode." Yeah, and I was oh, like, "That's interesting. crazy." Interesting. I mean, it's just think about that. Yeah. Like, who would ever say that? Right. But I think. That's perfect scenario from his point of view. Now, whether Vanguard is more in the competitive, like oh, we're going to get Schwab, I don't know. But I think Bogle wanted to yeah. see
3: everything just go down. We could throw BlackRock in there, actually. It's the four of them. Totally. Yeah. Uh, all right. So here, here's what we got: Schwab launched direct indexing. What, what are they calling it? Pers- They're calling it sh- pers- personalized indexing. Personalized indexing, which is a little bit of an oxymoron. It's either personal or it's an index. But um, that is essentially what everybody's doing now. And we're we're proponents of direct indexing or custom indexing. Um, but their version on their platform is going to be a minimum of $100,000, uh, and I, most of them start at 250000 So that's, a, I guess, an improvement in terms of how many people could use it. Uh, Fidelity's is a minimum of $5,000, which I'm not at all surprised by. Um, what's your take on just the way they've entered this market? Are they too late? Is it just beginning? Do they have the right offering for, for the moment? So—
2: um- <laughs> You're gonna mock me, but I have a chapter in the book. <laughs> I, I, I,
3: I know, That's I know. Unbelievable. So, <laughs> good for you. I hope you sell a billion is that, is copies. Uh, I uh, just gonna commit mock a foul. <laughs> no, not, no, okay. no, 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 <laughs> no. Okay. Yeah, okay. So yeah. so the
2: chapter is called the chapter the fall, in your book, The Bogle effect. Yeah, it's called the Fall and Rise of Active. <laughs> okay. So that legacy closet indexing active, I think, is slowly gonna just go away. Very uh, Or slowly. get small. Very, Very slowly, slowly, but it will. Uh, there's just no flows there anymore. Um yeah. Different ways are spouting spouting up. Direct indexing to me is a new face of active because when you do these uh, picking and choosing, you're now active. You're just doing it on your own sort of premise, I guess. It's or algorithmically active. Yes, but you're still- And it's personal active. Yeah, but you're still veering away from a benchmark yeah. and it charges a little more. It's like 40 basis points. Uh, the Fidelity and the Schwab, I think are both 40. The Bogleheads hate this for some reason. Why do they hate it? Uh, I don't necessarily hate it. If If you want that portfolio, fine. I think what they would say is, well, let's say you start being active, and then over fifty years, that forty bips plus maybe some active mistakes you make who by trailing the S and P, who gives a shit? Could honestly. add up to a few hundred grand. And if what if you what if you end up ahead? Yeah, it's possible. Right. Yeah, no, I I, I don't. What if you, like, I just in other think words, what a new, if you I have just a think tilt. it's a new form of active? My, and I think Fidelity would much rather you do direct indexing than buy their zero fee index fund.
0: Obviously, costs matter, but what about if the fact that you get, like, personal satisfaction out of this and it's worth the 40 basis? Totally, points that's to worth
2: something. And even in the Robinhood crowd, I have a little part in there about ROE, return on entertainment. Yeah. Um, it, it's fine. Yeah. I, I'm not. I, I'm just trying to put I, I, in the book, I have both sides. I have uh, Nate Tracy saying this isn't great, and then I have Michael
3: Kitsis who loves it. And I'm like, you know, and you need to do it. What is Nate's argument against it? Because I have that, a lot of respect for his Yeah, part of just you. that
2: it tries to reverse a bunch of trends at once. And I, and I kind of see that cheap, passive, and.
3: Uh, so it's a little bit more expensive, cheap, it's a little more active. Passive and simple. Yeah. And it's a little bit less But it doesn't simple. have
0: to be that complicated. What if you just say, you know what? I really hate Wells Fargo, for example. I don't want to own Wells Fargo. I, I don't think that people are going to start trading their personal index.
3: Here's uh, Schwab's quote. Each investor is different, and we are now able to leverage our significant scale, deep portfolio management expertise, and commitment to innovation to expand access to personalized solutions that will enable them to invest in ways that meet their distinct goals. That's the CEO of Schwab Asset Management, meaning it's the active component of it doesn't have to be about we think we're smarter than the market. There are people who want an index, but they have different goals than someone else who wants an index. So the the, the way they personalize it might be to add more risk, you can't, buy, or take less risk. You also can't. Sure. Buy,
0: you also can't buy the S and P 500 X Facebook.
2: True. And by the way, if you have a portfolio of five ETFs, that's a direct indexing in, in a way. And I mean, also, what You basically have about- five ETFs. Those are all active choices. So, I think if you're a, again, if you're a, a Bogle esque Puritan. And you're veering away from the total market, which which they view as the best frictionless way. Oh, wave. he would
3: hate this shit. Yeah, he would hate it. Yeah, he wouldn't. I don't think he'd like he's it. He's rolling in his grave right now just <laughs> well, hearing us uh, talk one, about one of
2: many things. I mean, what he, about – By the way, thank – uh, There's a, we have a little part in there. I asked Jason's well, I like, no, like Jason's and, Wig, What if he was alive for the Robin Hood thing? He was oh, like, oh my like, God. like – It would have killed him. It would have killed <laughs> That would have killed him. His would have exploded. Yeah.
0: Oh, my God. What about taxless harvesting we haven't spoken about? Like, that's a thing. That matters. That That Eastern Surely, and Bogle,
2: uh, heavy into taxes um, uh, in his books. He he brought that in a lot. He considered that uh, something you really need to work. That's why he, he used that to weaponize against active. He thought they were not good with the taxes. Um, but I think he might like that. I I I just think, again, Bogle I found over the course of the book, especially international, like everybody who – even his closest friends disagreed with him there. They, were, they liked international and ETFs. So he was just so pure that he was really a man alone in that – Everything outside also, of the direct end, he um, total also, market.
3: But he also was willing to make exceptions in his own life where it made sense. Totally. Oh, his, his son, son, his son, his son. His son yeah. ran a, a hedge fund yeah. and an active fund, and he invested in both. And he said, family's family. Yeah. So, oh, he
0: had a great line in his book. Like, I remember quoting. I can't remember what he life said. Life is messy, he, he basically said. Was that, yeah, it was basically something yeah. like that. Like sometimes there are more important things than just dollars and cents. Uh, yeah. dwe-
3: yes. Threatening 22% of the separately managed account industry's total assets, up or down. It's going way up. Wait, it, direct indexing is – wait, direct indexing is SMA. It's 22% of all SMA assets. In other words,
2: the rest is institutional?
3: No. The rest is like uh, actively managed stock picking. Okay. Fundamental analysis. Oh, I see. I see. Um, parametric's big. Uh,
2: yeah,
3: I mean – in assets in direct indexing strategies, projected five-year growth rate of 12.4% in both – uh, ahead of both exchange-traded funds. So this is going to outgrow ETFs, outgrow mutual funds, obviously. This is surly data. I think that 12.4% sounds low.
2: I think it sounds high. Um, I, again, I, I see direct indexing carving out a niche, maybe 5%, 10% of the whole fund universe. Because of how complex it is? Yeah, just mo- like go to a car dealership. How many people who buy a car at a Lexus dealership need a, a, some kind of customization? They're fine picking one of four cars. This is just generally how people shop. So who is this for, millionaires I think so. And People who are rich the, and really hate taxes. Right. I think I think that's a great deal. So that's I think a wealth logo, management client. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think the people who might be against it or would just say to themselves, why mess with success? You've got a three basis point total index fund. You can get a, all the bonds for three. Just, it's beautiful. Okay. Don't mess with it. Vanguard. And that's sort of what I think the response. is.
3: Vanguard acquired a company called Just Invest, which was a billion dollars in managed assets when they bought it. Um, uh, BlackRock bought Appirio Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they paid over a billion dollars. That was a direct indexing company. And so did, it, did it
0: Morgan Stanley by Parametric?
3: They did. Yes, Fidelity. By the way, by the way, Morgan Stanley getting
2: into ETFs? We're about to talk about that. Okay, you mean to stop? Is it in the book? <laughs> yeah, what uh, page is it?
1: <laughs> <I
3: did. laughs> oh, cut! One more thing on this. One more thing on this. I love Fidelity. Fidelity, I love you. Fidfolios is DLA. Ah, uh, yeah, they should have called it. It's kind of lame. I know. What are they? Gonna, what are they? Fid Fidfolios. You have, you have an idea? I could like come up with twenty ideas, like literally standing on my head, that are better than Fidfolios. I feel like uh, I I don't know. I, I I feel like they didn't really think that one all the way through. I bet you they yeah. paid a hundred hundreds of thousands of dollars to <laughs> consultants. I'm, I'm positive. But what's ironic is they might end up having the best product because Fidelity often has the best version. Because they're never the most expensive. They're never the cheapest. The shit that they make always works. Yeah. So and they might actually have the best version with the worst name.
2: And Fidelity, even though are I think- Are we sponsored by Fidelity no. anytime soon? They're malleable, no, though. Okay. They're malleable. No, they, got, they killed the Spartan name. right? Yeah, that their was index funds. That was
4: bad. That was confusing. Shouldn't, Shouldn't it have just they- been called Fidelio- Fidelios? Wouldn't that have worked like better? Like <laughs> No, no. That's, Fidelios. that's the password from Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> Duncan.
2: Yeah, he loves that movie. Yeah. Hey, I, I hey, do, Duncan, too. Underrated just called you're fired. <laughs> all right Fidelio. he went to the
3: party
0: mm-hmm. so morgan stanley so yeah. all right fine. so there was an there's an article over the weekend
3: uh a profile on their coo this is Bar- uh baron's article what's the guy's name let's just let's just set this up right um this guy's killing it for them jed finn great name how morgan stanley built an asset gathering machine garmhausen wrote this at Barron's. i thought it was really good okay go ahead michael
0: no, I was just to tossing it to you before we get into the story. What are they doing with ETFs? Because I saw you've been writing about them.
2: Yeah, so they were one of the last big holdouts. That said, they're one of the first big wirehouses to get in, which is interesting because they have two hundred billion dollars in other ETFs. So they could pull, They could actually move some money over to their own in-house. brands. Oh, so
0: meaning J.P. Morgan has their own ETFs for the yeah. wealth management business. Goldman Sachs has the ETFs yeah. and the wealth management business. Yes, Morgan has a wealth management yes. business, no ETFs. Until right.
2: Now. That's right. That's right. So we call it BYOA yes. and we think there's a Bring big your own Yes. Yes, well, why, you know, it's better than pay the other guy and it makes sense. It won't work for everything. Uh, we've seen that nobody even if you're Morgan Stanley or JP Morgan, you're not going to move to their generic S&P. Right. That brand is is you want the S&P. But like I don't know, uh, Develop market international they might move to the generic short duration yeah, bonds. Yeah, oh, fine. Yeah. I
3: actually think something like an ARC Goldman Sachs has their own innovation. They have index. You can replicate that non-house, non-profit- non-profitable tech index is Goldman's. I t- I,
2: I, I saw the. Go- I wrote a whole note saying, you guys, wh- why wouldn't you launch this it's at Ark. like twenty? It's Arc. You could Vanguard Arc at twenty yeah. bips. Um, I do think Kathy's brand name would maintain uh, some of those assets, but this
3: is not For a now, bad idea. But but if you're pushing Goldman clients into it, yeah, th- you can uh, you can do that.
2: Apparently, there's. I think I. The, Person I asked said something about well, there's there's licensing with the name and the index. Well, you know, you, you also
0: you also can't build an, uh, an ETF on top
2: of an uh,
0: index called not profitable tech.
2: <laughs> yeah, I th- I say you can. Maybe Goldman thinks it's
3: just too crazy. Or sounding. just change the name of the index. In this day and age, that's actually exactly what you should do. I you know. Should call it piece Garbage. of shit tech yeah. stocks, <laughs> and people will throw money in it as they create memes. I agree. It's What's the levered version coming out? Levered piece of shit tech company. <laughs> John, and I'm, I'm sorry for all these. Uh, <laughs> For all these bleepable <laughs> events. My um, bad. I'm just very – I'm very caffeinated.
2: By the way, the Morgan Stanley, I also think that um, they, the
3: CEO was <laughs> the, on – The Morgan Stanley. <laughs> Did I say the Morgan Stanley? Tell Stan- us about the Morgan, Morgan Stanley. <laughs>
2: Stanley.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what's cool?
0: Morgan Stanley.
3: Drop yeah. it, though. Go ahead. Um, Tell us about it.
2: Uh, OK. Hold on. You got – you just – All right. Keep yeah, thinking. Hold on. Let me come back. OK. Here I OK. So Morgan Stanley got <laughs> – <laughs> their CEO was on – was on Bloomberg TV like, I don't know, eight months ago saying, we bought Eaton Vance, we bought Parametric. This, yeah. is, this is the way – and I thought – and my thought was what they're trying to do is sort of bypass the ETF terror dome. They're going to go right to direct indexing and hope they just don't have to deal with that market. The fact that they're jumping in, I think, is a sign that the Parametric flows aren't that great. I cannot get the people over there to send me the numbers. But my guess is there are a couple billion tops, and ETFs just took in a trillion. So to, to your point, I think those two factors – they're like, yeah, maybe it might be the big thing in 10 years, but look at the numbers last year. We have to do something. That's my guess. I
3: don't f- – this is not a diss. I know a lot of great advisors at Morgan Stanley. I don't think the average Morgan Stanley FA has the sophistication to sit with a a, a $2 million household and walk them through the nuances of direct indexing um, in a way that it would really be worth their time to even try. It's so much easier to just do what they've already been doing. So to to that point – I really think that this is a killer product for RIAs. Not that RIAs are smarter. It's just more worth their time considering how much more they own that relationship relative to a bank owning a relationship and having a salaried employee. It took
0: us, it took, it didn't happen overnight for us where we were like, all right, here's this new index product. Like, let's get it. It took us.
3: No, we had to learn how to talk about it, it let alone teach took clients.
0: Like weeks and months easily. Um, Yeah.
2: I mean, uh, Michael Kitsis, who I interview for the book, um, is very bullish on this, um, but he uh, – like I said, I thought I thought his bullishness was from the advisor's point of view instead of the investor.
0: There's different levels of bullishness. You could be bullish on it being an amazing tool for advisors and not think it's going to take over the industry or the world. Or the e- I think that's sort of where I am. It's
2: not going to take over that's the That's where I am. Yeah. So, OK, let's say 10 years from now. what If you have mutual funds, ETFs, and direct indexing all, quote, as a sort of pie chart, what market share do you think – Direct index would have relative to ETFs and well, mutual funds. Well, I
3: just told you it's twenty two percent of all SMAs. I would say it's like forty percent of all SMAs, and that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. That's about. I think SMAs have what four trillion. So we're talking about well we're one saying trillion. It's a trillion bucks. So in ten 1. years, five
0: trillion ETFs will pass mutual funds. Correct. I think so. Yeah. Um, so I don't then, think
3: I don't think this ever gets bigger than ETFs. No, yeah. I, it, no. ETFs are too simple. They're yeah. too simple. they work. Yeah. They work really well.
0: Yeah. I, I think that if, if it's a fifth the size of ETFs, that would be big. That would be huge. Uh, back yeah, to, So ba-
2: and so we, that's how we... ESG and direct Indexing are two things that we're, we're not bearish on them per se. We're bearish versus the hype. You sometimes see someone come out and really say this is going to kill ETFs. I mean, or ESG. I'm
0: bearish and, on ESG ETFs.
2: Yeah, and they'll be like, oh, this is going to be 4000000000000 trillion. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Anything trying to dislodge Three basis point total index. Yeah. I just can't. It might It might nip at the sides of that. There's no reason for it to Hey, help. if you. It's if just you, too hard to yeah, dislodge yeah. that. If you
0: back out the flows into BlackRock from their model portfolio, what are ET, ET, ETF uh, ESG flows look like? Probably not that strong.
2: I think BlackRock, I mean, I got to say, we call that uh, the BYOA. If you take BYOA out, I think that's 40% of all ESG ETF flows. Yeah, I'd say easily. And the yeah. biggest ETFs what's are all BYO, the BlackRock. what's so BYOA? Like? Bring your own assets. BlackRock
0: put their ESG fund into their model portfolios. I don't know if that's like. I don't know if, I'm, oh, I, don't know if so that, I read they that. Did. So that counts yeah, yeah. as yeah, inflows. Yeah, they took, they, they they
2: replaced yeah. IVV with it, ESGU. W- now ESGU. Now keep in mind, yeah, okay. ESGU is the S&P. If you look at the holdings, it's got such a small active share. They couldn't do it if they went hardcore ESG. Yes, because, but it makes
3: me feel so much better. Right. right. Yeah, they, it's a feeling. It. ESG it's is a selling feeling. a
0: feeling. Oh man, it's massive. So this uh, that's that's 2020. So the only thing here, by the way, it was it was a billion. Now it's at 25. This is just model portfolios.
2: Probably. I mean they get their sales How, people on what it. One to twenty five. One to twenty five billion. So they but, but I will say once you put it in the model, it goes up to you f- know what that's seven, eight like? billion. It seems like a popular ETF. So BYOA can actually kickstart
3: some organic flows too because assets are marketing. But you know what that's like? That's like Netflix. They're like, oh, Sandra Bullock's new show where she's blindfolded the whole time is the biggest hit in the world. It's yeah. like yeah, you put it on the homepage. Yeah, and, but, yeah. You could make it the biggest yeah. show. And by the way, look, BlackRock could do that with any ETF well, at any this time. Is, this is SPY versus ESG. Yeah, it's, price. it's
1: same the thing,
2: same, same thing.
3: Apple Music could decide who's the number one selling uh, artist in the world You're today. You're
2: right. W- w- we, gay basically said BlackRock, they should teach this PR move in business schools because um, Larry Fink's out saying ESG is the future. This is great. And then when they do the conference calls and the quarterly calls, they brag about the assets. But I'm like, well, come on. Kind of directed it. Yes. Good for them, though. I know. I mean, I, yeah. it, it, it's fair to tall it out, but it's also fair to say, you know what? Like, but
0: that's their advice. That totally. Because the they're, other, they're other an asset manager. manager. To, the, to that point, it's not hurting anybody.
2: It's the, not hurting the, anybody. The, the, and it's the, cheap. It's only the, like 15 bits. The performance
0: bits. is exactly the same. So if you want to be ESG, who gives a shit? It's the same performance. Well, here's
2: what someone would say, and this is where they get uh, dragged on Twitter, is you could get IVV for three. So it's honestly five times the cost. Whatever. I know.
3: Yeah. But now oh. you're down to I, I'm Oh, just, BlackRock's oh. getting dragged on Twitter. They, <laughs> they have cares, they have $14 trillion under management. <laughs> How will they ever uh recover from that? I, I know le- they
2: got actually. Oh, oh my yeah, god, exactly. they're gonna yeah. close. <laughs> a a, Did leg- you make a BlackRock <laughs> meme? Uh, no, hold on. A legitimate, Your mom's calling, dinner's a leg-
0: ready. A legitimate f- loser. drag, if you want to make one, is that uh think was acting all holier than thou, and then pushing flows into their own problems. Well, my thing is- I like if, lecturing the CEOs.
2: My thing is if you're that wealthy and you have private jets and, and that's your choice of transportation and you've, I don't know, are you really living an ESG life? Okay, fine, you have these funds, but like- You're definitely not. Uh, there was a study that the the top 0.01% are
3: responsible for a good chunk of the carbon emissions. Duncan's living that ESG life. Crypto mining alone, you're, you're killing the environment. and You're offsetting it a little bit with your ETF choice. It's, it's hilarious. Uh- so back to Morgan Stanley, they brought in 438 billion of net new assets last year. That's crazy. A lot of that is taking directly from other people. I don't know who they're taking it from. Um, the premise of the article is they found all these new funnels to, they have uh, 15 million relationships with clients, um, every age of the age and wealth, every step along the spectrum uh, in terms of age and wealth. They're unlocking value from E-Trade. They're probably converting a lot of the larger accounts at E-Trade into Morgan Stanley Wealth Management clients. They bought the stock plan administration business, which Big. deals with corporations and their employees. That's another funnel. Um, and they seem to have, I think, come up with a better business model than whatever Goldman Sachs is trying to do in wealth management. What's your, what's your take from the outside looking at that? Hang on, on that?
0: Eric, before you get in, just look at this chart, three years. Morgan Stanley's crushing JP.
2: Yeah, I'm not. I mean, I didn't realize this. Not sure why. Hundred uh, percent
0: versus thirty six. That's 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 a big spread.
2: Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, Over five years too. Huh? Everything you just described is, I think, the hustle you're going to have to do to survive. Again, what I would call the Bogle effect. Everything is going to like three basis points. You've got to get creative. You've got to hustle. Die for loose balls. That makes sense. Own the client. You know, you've got to do all kinds of things just to
3: avoid having your assets taken from you. Uh, well, there's by now Black a willingness. And Vanguard. Right. There's now a willingness among the Wall Street banks to cater to everybody. There's no no such thing as white shoe anymore. Goldman launching Marcus, um, acquiring gigantic uh, RIA platforms and stuff. United. Morgan Stanley buying E-Trade. It's almost like we don't care how old you are. We have something for you. We don't care what level your portfolio balance is. We have a service that would work. That like, to me, that's a really big change. That's really- probably inspired by your – like what your book is talking about. That is the Bogle effect on Wall Street.
2: Yeah, and one of the things I also thought was like – you know, Vanguard came out in the 70s and at that time, everything was commission-based and brokers. In fact, I even called the section reform brokers because (laughs) when you're talking about where the assets come from in Vanguard, the advisors, the reform brokers are uh, the biggest growth area. Yeah, And I talk about like the fact that Vanguard may have had something to do with the RAA movement because you could not get their
3: funds where you were. You had to leave. weren't they one of the first custodians for RAAs? And, and they didn't do. They didn't love it. They got out of the business. I don't think so. But if it, if they were, I didn't you know get that, that story. Mm-mm. Okay, it, it predates me being on the RAA side. Uh, all right, moving on. I want to. I want to um, ask you what here. I have some notes. I have some notes uh, from your book. Vanguard, the money that Vanguard raised over last year, let's say since the pandemic started, it like accelerated. And there was so much talk in the media about Robinhood, which is a big story. But really, the flows to Vanguard exploded higher. And it was silent. Like we weren't even like – there weren't articles being written about yeah. it the way that there used to be. Right, um, They took an $80 billion year to date this year. The rest of the industry, $15 billion. So they're no, 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 not no, negative fifteen billion. Negative fifteen billion. Okay. So they're so Vanguard is plus eighty. The rest of the industry is negative fifteen. What's going on now? Is it mo- is it just um, momentum carrying through?
2: Yeah, and you know, uh, two things on that. One, you're right. They took in three hundred and I think thirty billion last year. Now, in 2014, 2015, they almost hit or it was twenty sixteen. Let's pause on
3: that number. That number is so big. It's one point five billion a day. It, that number for one year <laughs> day. is so big. I know. It's unbelievable. And it, there really wasn't much talk of it. We've because got we're des- getting used Dude, to it. We, we got desensitized. How much does Robinhood have under management? 25, 40? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. 40 billion? I don't know. And Vanguard took in 330 billion last year.
2: Yeah, no, Vanguard takes in like one arc every month. It's, uh, I mean, really, they they're I mean, just it's really astounding. Yeah. And the I think the theory on why Vanguard, the other thing is when the going is good and other people actually see inflows too and their their assets are going up cuz the market's going up. I think everybody just looks good. Vanguard's better fine. But it's when a bear or flat market hits that I really try to stress here that their market share is going to explode because their relativity is going to be amazing because not only does the bull market subsidy stop lifting your assets and offsetting your outflows, it becomes a tax. And so your assets start going down and the outflows are hitting and you got panic boomers leaving your fund. Their, their market share will continue to grow, and why do people still invest in Vanguard in a bad market? That goes back to the early days, I think, where they forced people to come to them. So pe- people were coming to them. They were astute. They were like, you know what? This makes sense. I'm going to go do this. And they are, I think, resigned that this is the so best deal they can come probably that get. <laughs> they, don't,
3: they don't pay stockbrokers at Wells Fargo to sell Vanguard funds. That's right. So that's what you mean by come to them.
2: Yeah, they had to come to them. Bogle used Field of Dreams a lot. He, I guess he saw that movie is this in the 80s. And, and he's, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, it's in Iowa. Oh, by the way. <laughs> well, I just, I, actually, yeah. Malvern is a little like Iowa. But anyway, uh, he's he was like, you know, build it and they will come. Um, that He was just like, look, let's make the best possible product and they'll beat a path to our door. But then there was a story Gus Sauter told me that I thought was also, I think, novel of the character and just. Just I don't know, um, discipline. But
3: is an early Vanguard executive.
2: Yeah, he was the CIO yeah. for like tw- 15 years when they launched ETFs. He, he knew Bogle very well. He knew Brandon very well. Anyway, he said that when he first got there, uh, some big institution wanted to buy in into the, one of the funds, but they were only going to be short-term. And Bogle said no. And he thought, wow, And because yeah, there's good money or bad money. And so he, uh, in the early years, only took good money, long-term money, and it was money that found them that was very astute and knew what they wanted.
3: He had integrity core, about inflows. Yes,
2: yeah, so that core is why I think you see flows into their funds versus uh, flows for other people who tend to be market sentiment correlated.
0: So double timeout. First of all, Vanguard, it's, it's just a one-way flow. Is They just always keep buying. But you, you've been saying this for a while, and you've been 100% right. Active managers have often said, just wait till bear market. That's when we're going to outperform. That's when we're going to get flows. It's, they have <laughs> oh, to well. exactly backwards. Never that's happens. their
2: that should be their worst. That's their worst nightmare. If anything, they they want to. They they should be fine with the outflows because as long as the market goes up, it offsets it, and they can really extend the length of time they can sort of milk it.
0: So a lot of actively managed mutual funds, their assets have grown with the market, not because of flows. So oh, when absolutely. the market falls, their assets Listen to and the Dad. flows come out.
2: Active equity mutual funds ten years ago had three trillion. They've seen two point six trillion in outflows since then, but now they have almost six trillion in assets.
0: Drone Powell, it's all drone Powell.
2: Yeah, I blame the Fed for that. So uh, the bond side a little better. Bond active bond funds have not seen the exodus, but they haven't seen a bear market. Let's talk about bond funds. Holy yeah. shit! This, this year it's getting ugly. Bond funds could go through what equity start, just did. the
3: worst start for global bond funds since 1990. So
2: look at this. This is, this is IEF. It's a seven to 10-year
0: treasury. By far, by far, by far the worst return. We have that on screen. By far the worst return so going back he to he inception to of 2003. This, this is bad. That's
3: off, off the cliff. So
0: Eric, I've been saying that not only have bonds not been dampening the, the, the returns of the stock market or the declines, they've been causing
2: it. How come all the, sure? How, how come well, the, all these funds that th- this is the reverse Fed trade, right? It's the it's the uh, the Fed put or the like accommodative policy reverse. in reverse. Of Wait, course, so it all went up that together. Chart back up. It's uh, probably going to all go down, get together for a little while.
3: And how, bonds worse though. How come all these funds that are leveraging bonds aren't blowing up yet? Oh, like the closed end funds? We, we just not no. Like uh like, to your like like the hedge fund, like the hedge funds.
2: Why aren't they? I think we'll see one. Um, someone's going some to blow up, yeah. right? Uh, oh, like, it's the risk still pari- like the risk parity
3: funds? Yeah. Uh, the- I hate saying that because then like someone's going to – Jake's going to go crazy on Twitter or something. <laughs> but seriously, if you're if you're like double and triple leverage treasuries, how have you not blown up yet? Um, I'm- it's
2: also a lot of exotic bonds. There was a, um, a few examples we used in the March 2020 sell-off. There was this one fund that came so close to having to just implode and it had all kinds of weird like not just MBS but like just structured all kinds. Of I uh, Really out there stuff. I only buy
3: blue chip but- Russian – convertible, uh, convertible. <laughs> but equities. it was an open
2: and a mutual fund. Yeah. And I, I would argue some of the active fixed income managers don't like those funds. I think some of the funds go pretty far out there, but I do think we'll see one at some point have to just halt redemptions or just say we're, we're, we had, we're overextended. The only thing I would say about this sell-off is unlike March, 2020, where 180 billion left bond funds in two weeks. That's insane. You have only a, we have a hundred billion this year, leaving bond funds or 90 after what, three months It's much more orderly, so as long as it's orderly, I think it can just bleed and then adapt later. It's just will the downward spiral start to speed up? Where the more flows, the more they got to sell bonds in the market, which lowers the price of bonds, which means the the return goes down, and the people start to panic. Yeah. Well, that downward spiral. You're a
3: saver, though. I don't think so. You're not being punished anymore. So (laughs) (laughs) two point six two point six (laughs) percent yield on two year
0: money. Where do you think? Not bad. Where do you think? So we we were we've been talking about this on the show. Like, is it possible that money's coming out of bonds and into stocks? I don't think so. I think money comes out of bonds and goes into money market funds.
2: A little, uh, because if you look at the outflows from active equity mutual funds, they're a little less severe than normal, which tells me there's probably some oh, rebalancing. Think? Yeah, a little bit. Oh, so it's
0: rebalancing. Okay, that makes a sense. A little.
2: But you can't just, oh, it's rebalancing. Like some people on Twitter were like, oh, it's just rebalancing. No, no, no. The thing with bond mutual funds is if you look at their historical flows, they, they really They're always take, positive, right? Right. In the, until uh, rates go up and the market goes down. The taper tantrum- 2018, uh, March, 2020. And every time they started to go down, the fed came in and said something dovish. It is
0: kind of hilarious though, because you would think that as interest rates come up, money should come into bond funds because they're becoming more well, attractive. No, because
2: all, yes. But all the funds own bonds worth less because you can get the new ones at higher rates. Okay. That's the problem. All these funds own bonds that are just not worth as much as they were like last year.
3: It's a portfolio that's already down versus newly issued. Yeah, bonds. but the more rates yields. go up,
2: the more you can get more high yields. So, and yes, they can. That's why you know, in my first book, you had a great quote. You said, uh, "How do you deal with rising rates? You're like, you did it the way your grandpappy did it. Or, I forget. Yeah. Uh, you ladder. Yeah, laddering really. If the fund ladders, I suppose that ultimately they will be able to do what you say. Well, but at, at the time, I guess all their bonds are the ones. But that worthless. doesn't. Expl-
0: but that doesn't explain investor flows because I'm saying money should come in
3: as rates rise. It shouldn't leave. The explanation. Well, for no, it's
2: it. The, the reason the money's leaving is because the returns are down. Like if you right. look at no, I if you look understand. Double line. Yeah. I yeah. You. Uh, th- listen, negative, like a negative monthly performance in bonds. That just triggers people. I get it. People, yeah. but, but people are
0: afraid that oh shit, I lost money in bonds, and people are having all sorts of crazy reactions because yeah. they've never seen this before. That's right, and they think it's going to get worse, which I understand. But no, it's actually going to get better.
2: Yeah, I mean, what are they waiting for? They can pull out now and then just wait till what? There's a positive return, maybe. I don't know, um, but I just. I just know that bond flows tend to be correlated with the like the red or the green. You know, if they're green, they see money.
3: So, do bond ETFs are they heavily used by hedge funds and institutions as trading vehicles? Yes. So, isn't that doesn't People, that partly yeah. explain? It, like, it, like if you have that as your risk off piece and it's down four percent. You're like, we're getting out of this. We're shortening up the or we're going into cash or something.
2: Well, you bring up a good point. A lot of mutual funds institutions use HYG, TLT, right. um, LQD,
3: and they use right, it. They're not buying 800 <laughs> bonds. They're just buying the index. Well,
2: no, I, I, they, they buy the ETF as a moat around the bonds yeah. to cash people in and out. So it's like a, a cash uh, – like a. it's almost like holding cash, but you actually get baited to the market. That way you don't have cash drag, although cash drag would help now. So I think a lot of them did buy these ETFs as moats to get beta. So they, if somebody got out of your fund, you could sell it. We see this because when there's bond, mutual fund outflows, the ETFs start to oh, trade at discounts a little bit. I guess I hadn't because realized Because that's the first that. thing they sell before they go to the bonds. They got to eat through the ETFs.
3: it's easier to sell the ETFs totally. than to start calling bond brokers, yeah. bond dealers. Yes. Okay, got it.
0: So we've got the Fed uh, $95 billion of liquidity coming out of the market, or that won't be continually going into the market. And there are starting to see some cracks in the stock market. Like the Russell two thousand looks like shit. Home builders look like shit. Transports are crashing. And yet, and yet the index for now is like sort of still hanging in there a little bit. What, you mean the S and P, the S and P and the Nasdaq. The S and P
2: isn't the S and P like pretty resilient? I, I'm impressed at how well it's held up. After all, What's it would four percent off its all-time all time it. highs after all this. No, it's—
3: it I mean, should be so much worse. With six
2: percent, is that I mean, all it is? Oh if stocks God. really
3: correlated to headlines, we would be we would be in a twenty percent. The S and P
2: is just the baller. That's why it's the king. I mean, it's, it's crazy. You know, it just you get you get tempted by the cues, but at the end of the day, that index is something Eric,
3: special about it. VGK outflows are going into the S and P. I'm absolutely convinced. <laughs> no, Europe, 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 is, right? Europe no. is guaranteed a recession. Okay, they're they're getting they're getting almost a, a third or more, depending on who you ask, of their oil and gas from somebody that's actively like thinking about bombing them.
2: By the way, also the S and P. You know how people are like, oh, it's just large caps, and all these like ten mega caps. It's all weighted yeah. by like these ten companies. Sam Rowe had this great point, which changed my perspective of the S and P, which is that those 10 companies are like 12 companies each. in each. It's like yeah, 120 yeah. companies. Google, yeah,
3: Google's like 70 companies. Yeah, if yeah, you look at
2: it, it that way, it's very diversified. And it's, it, that's, I think, part of why it's so strong. It sounds
3: super complacent. <laughs> 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 that's the last thing someone says before the mark, the bottom falls out.
2: But here, by the way, speaking of the bottom falling out and, and index funds, I, I do I, I would ask you guys this. I think if I were to talk to you guys about, like, let's say you held VTI in your personal account are, is there anything that would get you to sell? Let's, no. Right, because- you, My daughter's wedding. Right. That's the lifestyle. I'm talking yeah. in the market. Is, and is that because you're resigned to the fact that there's nothing better you could do? It's, Dude, what are you going to jump my, into? I don't my, have time
3: to try to do something My default better. setting is
0: the market will be higher 10 years from now. That's yeah. always my default setting. So I don't give a shit if it gets cut in half or worse. I'll be buying.
2: This is why passive will remain strong in yes. bear markets. A lot of the people who are like, oh, it's going to bring the market down. And I have, I have a- I have a section of this in the book too. Weak hands is what they call it. I'm like, no, these are the strong hands. These are people who rarely sell. I think the next correction will be money coming out of active because they're older boomers who were put there by their broker, so there's less loyalty and they're older. They don't want to like lose the money, and I think that's going to be where the stress comes from. Uh, passive will actually probably be a bid uh, in a, in the next you know even if the bear markets four or five years. But then I was on the Resolve podcast, and those guys are like, yeah, but what if you what if these index funders have to eat shit? Every day for six years, at some point they will capitulate. No, like, it doesn't I don't work know that way. No.
3: because the buyers are dollar cost averaging.
2: They don't give a shit. They're not, they don't even know. Now what about alts? Like say you have 60, 40, and like it all went up together, now it's going to go down. Do you guys consider like adding an alt or something that like maybe could go up and sort of offset you a little?
3: Do the we pro- consider it? Yeah, we do it. Yeah,
2: yeah, and we do that already. And what do you use in that alt bucket? We have our own strategy. So but I, I think we're not allowed to
3: promote. Uh, really. I think okay. one of, one of is it like a? Does it have a short component? You see, see my wink? <laughs> no, we don't show. anything. I how think, is it alt though? Because uh, because it's uh because it's um it's uh trend following. Okay. One oh, of, I see. Okay.
0: One of the problems, and I'm casting a, a wide net, so. Nobody really take offense to this because there's obviously great solutions out there. Generally speaking, one of the problems with strategies that try to limit the downside is they can't survive the upside. And for that reason, like, like uh, um, uh, CTAs, for example, or managed futures, like – they're doing great this year, by the way. I think, uh, but they've been they've been horrible for a decade, and that's just really unless you are a died-in-the-wall quanted, you totally totally get it. Even then, but to put that in front of, into a client account that can be t- dead money for ten years while the S and P triples is just really hard.
3: That's why my proprietary um, yeah. timing Stop. system <laughs> enables me to know when to put the alt <laughs> on. So I'm actually timing the market timing. So Eric,
0: not only will I never sell, Jeez, but I, I will. To plug another book, I will uh, just keep buying. How about that? <laughs>
3: um, nice.
2: Very nice way to work. That
3: <laughs> was last, very subtle. Last thing on last thing on Bogle before we move away from that. Uh, two things. I think you wrote this. Uh, Vanguard's move into advisory business will send them into many unBoglean places. <laughs> For better or worse. Jack would not want to see. Wait, Van How do you spell Go- unboglian? I don't know. This guy's this guy wrote it. I wrote it in the notes. It works, un- just, un- it works. Hyphen. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. Unboglian places. Uh Duncan, write that down. Uh what do you I mean use by- his
2: name in me- I have Bogleosophy in there. I got Bogle What do you, what do you mean by uh, just to entertain myself? Th- wait, so
0: the rise of index was that a Bogle The what? A Bogle Yeah.
3: <laughs> there was a Bogle Sans. <laughs> 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 So uh, uh, so wh- what do I mean by that? Why is it on Boglian to give financial advice?
2: yeah, I think um you know he just didn't want that much that's a general thing. He didn't like them being so big that's you know but they if Vanguard investors got older, and I think the natural thing is to have a wealth management to help them now that they're wealthy and so they launched this business. It's only ninety percent Vanguard clients. oh that's a big pool to draw from, but that business, if you want to be up there with a major Full service advisor, wealth manager for very wealthy people. You got to have private equity. You got to have a direct indexing, SMAs. You got to have, you might even have crypto.
3: You got to pay up for advisors or they're going to leave.
2: Well, but they have by the tons way, listen, advi- this, they have so many advisors. A th- they have over 1,000 advisors, CFPs. Yeah. They have in more fact, CFPs they're, than they're, anyone, they're but, under,
3: in, but they're, under, they're under 40.
2: They might, I mean, they probably have some uh, like system where they well, that's, just,
3: the, that's the thing though yeah. so then they're competing with Schwab and Fidelity yeah, branch system yeah. which so there's
2: tough, a, there's tough a whole section in there on where advisory's going and Kitsis was probably the great guy to ask about this and and he sort of said look there's probably half the business is really brokers who aren't like CFPs they're probably going to get vanguarded but if you're doing niche work you're local or you do high touch or you know you have something special those will be the survivors- Vanguard's
3: at, not trying to build that. No, most, they're going not.
2: after that like very vulnerable,
3: like disruptible what's middle. Ce- what's the new CEO's name again? Mortimer. Ten. Uh, no, no, no. Ten. No. no, no, literally Tim uh, So Buckley said publicly when he came in as CEO, he said, uh, like- I'm coming are, for you. No, we are going to do to the advice business yeah. what we did to the asset management business. And they are working on it yeah. like every day. Yeah. So
2: And they're where the margin too. is. Yeah, they're not alone, but yeah- um, Although I, yeah, I,
3: I and doesn't that, mean they'll doesn't mean they'll succeed, right. but that's what they're doing.
2: Yes, and and that's where I think they're got a partnership with a private equity firm. I think ultimately Vanguard, if they're going to try to have all these things available to their clients, um, at some point they could say, "You want crypto? Get out of here, or go get it yourself." But like, <laughs> get out of here. I think at some point they're going to have to have all these things, and I I just know Vanguard. They're going to go and like look at the marketplace and go, ah, "This is all like high cost shit." Uh, we're going to have to either work with a partner who will lower their fees for us in a partnership or do it ourselves. You know
3: what's unboglian? NFTs. Very unboglian. <laughs> uh, you said that Bogle and Vanguard are arguably you more— you mentioned
2: Bogle and NFTs? I would love oh to see a Barron's reporter asking Bogle about like uh, ape M- yeah. NFTs.
3: Uh, he'd throw his cane at him. <laughs> you, sa- you said uh, Bogle, Vanguard, arguably more DeFi than much of DeFi. What I- do you mean by that?
2: So you know how, like, crypto and DeFi are all like, oh, we're, you know. Um,
3: disrupting. We're disrupting.
2: And- we're over here. It's like minting billionaires right and left. Yeah. The fees they charge are really high. The intermediaries are really making a killing selling They make populism. up for it
3: by how convenient it is, though. <laughs> LOL.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's something where I think uh, Vanguard took – if you go into an index fund and you buy and hold it, Wall Street gets none of that money. It's basically taking it out of the casino completely. It starves the machine. And I don't know if crypto is starving the machine. I think they're turning into the machine to yeah, some degree. They're,
3: they're feeding the machine. They, they, it's the most profitable business there is. They put a there
2: bull is. in front of the crypto exchange that looks like the Wall Street bull. I thought that was weird. Like, aren't you supposed to be like fighting? Like, they're slowly – and then – wait, where the, wait, where's in the Miami. crypto exchange? Uh, you know, oh, Miami. At, at the right.
3: Bitcoin conference. Yeah.
2: They put it bull, but it has laser eyes. And it's like, anyway, but
3: close crash, please.
2: Did you notice that when Morgan Stanley or Goldman Sachs says, "Oh, we're we're like either we're bullish crypto in a note," where they start saying we're going to trade it or service our, yeah, the crypto crowd really likes that. I feel as though there's a, a tension between their message of populism and like anti.
3: They love disruption, but the only thing they love more is when the New York Stock Exchange and Goldman Sachs get involved. Then they re- then they get really excited. I agree. So they and, don't care about disruption. They want higher prices for their coins.
2: Yes. And so I think even though Vanguard is part of the system and is an asset manager, it's pretty DeFi'd. I mean, the ethos, especially it's the original DeFi. And it's it's true like vegetable type DeFi. Dude, There's nothing to going how on. How about
3: just the the radical act of building that in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania? They didn't build it in Philadelphia. They didn't build it in New York, Boston, Chicago. Like that in and of itself, and Schwab did that too. They went to San Francisco. Like they started as outsiders. That was like the, the original DeFi. I totally agree with you. Um, active managers in Q1, we, we, we alluded to this earlier. ESG was not anyone's friend. Uh, we have, John, throw this up. So the dark blue is the S&P index return. The light blue is the average fund return. And that yellow diamond is the percent uh beating the index. Why is it getting harder? Just eight, it keeps getting only, harder. All right. Only eight <laughs> percent only eight percent of core uh of core large cap funds beat the index in the month of March. And Where, where are we? The for wrong the, you know the Rob Burgundy gift I'm not even mad, I'm impressed. Like how how? Where are we yeah. for the twenty-two twenty-two percent but- of all funds? are beating the S&P 500 in the first quarter. You it's know getting why? harder. You, nobody
2: knows the future. That, that's the, you just can't get around that fact. Who would have thought that oil would be kicking ass after, people have pronounced it dead.
3: This is Savita Subramanian at Bank of America. What hurt in first quarter? Not owning energy. One of the main culprits of active's underperformance in the first quarter was their ESG-friendly portfolios. Active funds were 27% underweight energy in Q1, where it was the best quarter for energy since 1970, 44 percentage points versus the S&P 500. And you know what?
0: Not their fault. I mean, They're, I don't blame
3: them. Their in <laughs> energy itself detracted about 33 basis points of alpha year to date. So what do they do now? Go chase oil stocks? Is that the, the right response?
2: This is inherently why a lot of people have dropped out and gone indexing. They think, well, maybe well, they catch a right call, but then the next call is off. And what, what are you going to do?
3: It. It's too hard. It's
2: so hard. Um, You know, it's just hard. I mean, anybody who's tried to do it on their own
3: knows how hard it is um, to get every timing and call right. But to Michael's point, it almost feels like we should have had this shift at some point where it got easier again. It's getting, hard. It's getting worse.
2: Yeah, because a lot of people were like, well, oh, um, all the retail left, to go indexing. Now the people left the poker table are like the real smart people with all the computers. Mm. But then Robinhood came in and you think they were easy. But then like they actually did pretty well. They were really risk, you know, risk on. And some of them did pretty well. And then actually, what those pros started following the Robin Hood crowd and sort of like trying to ride that momentum that they had. But I just think it's ultimately the the, the not knowing the
3: future is just. It's insurmountable. What can you do? What can you do? Or not being able to do that reliably is the whole thing.
2: Yeah. I talked to Barry once and I was like, I was like, Barry, you know, you. How many hours deep? You. Barry's the only guy we had to do double episode of our podcast. We called it, we called it Use Your Disillusion 1 and Use
3: Your Disillusion 2. He had, he had more material than one episode yes. could hold?
2: Yes. Yeah, we had to break it up into two. That uh, was the one time where we actually broke the rule of the 52 episodes.
3: We had 53 that year. I once heard Barry on the phone with a reporter. It was on speakerphone. Barry used to take all his calls on speaker, which was a pleasure for me when we were sitting offices next to each other. I actually heard the reporter be like, all right, Barry, I gotta go. I I've never heard a reporter try to get off the phone before with a source in my entire existence on Wall Street.
2: He's he's you know, he is very fascinating. That was one of our best downloaded episodes, though. People like to of my course. mom loved
3: it. We love Barry. My
2: mom was like, This guy is really interesting. He gives, you know what?
3: He doesn't phone it in. If you have him on your show, he gives you he gives you all of it.
2: And he like, instead of like saying like uh a response, he'd be like Alex, I'll take uh cognitive bias for $100. Oh, like yeah, that's going. the way he kind of like will get into an answer and it's fun. Yes.
0: Well, uh, fun 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 for sure. He's been described as a golden retriever. Like, oh, a person. Like he just he <laughs> loves he just loves people he does. and he, he loves does. talking.
3: Yeah. No, he's uh, But he's that's great. why but that's why the audience loves him yeah. because he gives he gives you the full Barry. All right, let's talk what's, about stock splits. What's going on here? Put this up.
0: All right, so this comes from uh Lindsay Bell. She's a chief market and money strategist for Ally. So stock splits, stock splits have basically gone away, and I think I was over-indexed to how many stock splits there were, just given the one, like the big ones that we've seen over the years. We saw Apple did Amazon, Amazon split, right? Amazon split, Tesla yeah, announced announced
3: split. announced split.
0: Um, so there really haven't been that many, and this surprised me. So there's an index that they have of it's called the two for one index, which is from S and P Capital, showing the S and P versus the two for one index. I would have thought that uh, the stock split in that because you see like these stocks pump on these news and you're like well this is the dumbest thing ever actually if you were to systematically like uh, invest in these companies they
3: haven't outperformed haven't gone to kill and, killed, and but how would you do that because you're going to buy them after they got I, I don't
0: know I don't know the methodology
3: that's the problem that's though the they thing. announced yeah. a split after like the a close a or something yeah. so you're going to pay up 6% yeah. the next morning yeah. or in Tesla's case yeah. up 20% yeah. Yeah. probably yeah. not the best they will try an ETF for this though totally <laughs> what a stock split etf yeah you'll I bet say there i
2: what do you think there might have been one but it, i forget somebody um the guy who read, did the uranium miners try a stock split or something like that i got to look but I mean, that's crazy why do we think right? why do we what stock splitting uh, etf listen if something's working and there's some news coverage or like they'll try it why do we think that s- stocks go up
0: on the announcement? Is it because that there's more potential dollars coming in from from I think close, so. smaller people, investors? Because yeah. people yeah. think
3: that other people are going to buy it. But that that might
0: that might actually be a thing.
3: It is a yeah. thing. It's yeah. it's actually not a money loser. Yeah. If if you did that, uh, a everyone smart would laugh at you, and b you made money. Yeah. So it's one of it's one of those things that shouldn't work, but continues to work. What are we what are we doing here about Tiger Global?
0: Uh I don't really have much to say about them. I mean, Eric, you have anything to say about Tiger? They basically they they Kings on the way up and, and killed on the way down. Down it's, hard. Down 38%
3: hard. since December 2020. Yeah. Versus NASDAQ up sixteen percent. So I think
0: I think J, JD.com was their biggest was their biggest holding. I think that was it. They were in early, so they made forty seven X on the way up. And when this thing gave back, it's their biggest holding. Okay. Did anybody
3: it's a little do, arky in, in in yeah. I mean, did I mean, anyone do the meme with Winnie the Pooh where it's like Ark wearing a t shirt? And then under it, Tiger, like, global. Tiger global with the monocle. Yeah,
1: yeah,
2: it's not bad. Uh, by, by the way, um, John Bogle Jr. was telling me that you know he was an active manager, and he would talk to his dad, you know, Bogle, about like being active, and Bogle would just be like, "It's a hard business." How old, how old is John hard. Bogle Jr. now? I want to say fifty-five-ish. How old is the third? Oh uh, I hate like his kids? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if there's a John Vogel. Jr. Are you telling me John Vogel
3: Jr. is a is a Gen X? Can we claim him? Is <laughs> he 55? one of us? Is he the Stone Temple Pilots?
2: I taught I him. Get him to on him. the phone. He if he's Gen X, he seems he's pretty mature. Like okay. I I thought he was he was He's an older ex. He's yeah. like Barry. He's, he's a yeah.
3: geriatric ex. Barry's an older ex.
2: Yeah, I, I think he's like Barry's age. That's born in guess. This,
3: born in the mid sixties is yeah. an older ex. They were really into Caddyshack, that part of our generation. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, Actually – Stripes. <laughs> they think Stripes is – Barry yeah. just yeah. – Barry like Lawrence of, of Arabia.
0: Barry just got me the book on the making of Caddyshack. I'm like, why did you buy this for me?
3: For you. <laughs> for me. What are you supposed to do with that? But
2: that's the same publisher I, I – or the, the literary agent I have. That He made that book. Oh, uh, yeah? Yeah. I, he, I haven't read it yet. I, I got it – I was at his uh, office and I said, oh, that looks cool. He's like, oh, you can have it.
3: Um, is it good? Have you read it? No. This is going to no. be an unpopular take with the older Xers. It does not age well. What caddy shop? I
0: rewatched it recently. It's It's not just not that funny. It's not that funny.
3: Dangerfield is the only good thing. Rodney
0: Dangerfield did. Somebody step on a duck killed me. That that was the first belly laugh I ever had in my entire life. I was like six years old. I I know, but it's not that funny.
2: Something about Ted Knight being frustrated is pretty good. He's so good at being frustrated. Uh, it, it feels good it's not enough, it's okay. not enough. I'm just, I, I don't know I, I, would, I, I haven't seen it in a while but listen,
0: I'm just telling you that, that if you saw it today for the first time with a clean slate you'd be like I don't get it
3: I don't get it what's the big deal yeah. uh, <laughs> we, did this, we did this bond chart already uh, I think we're into favorites guys by the way Eric that doesn't take
0: anything away from the movie for example I recently saw, saw Top Gun for the first time really and uh, if, I, if I saw Top Gun when I was 8 years old it would be the best movie ever unfortunately I saw it when I was 35 years old and it's just, you know. Oh, well, okay,
2: out of five stars, what would you give it? I, listen,
0: I, re- I appreciate the fact that it meant a lot Seven to people stars. at the time.
2: You can unwind that. As yeah. a person watching it, like let's say, let's say it just came out. And you had to rate it
0: they, But it would have come out today Because it's so 80s it's, right it's,
2: They're up in each other's faces it's a time, Going who's the best it's ti- of the best it's, a, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, like, it's, it's, it's all just sort of it's 80s Very Cold al- War Like Rocky IV yeah. oh, Literally yeah. Everybody's sweating Dude, and it's glistening. a time
0: capsule It's a time capsule They're playing
2: volleyball on the beach With lathered up in jean shorts They definitely de- are. So everything's lathered
3: Like Rocky yeah, got lathered yeah. A lot of lathering in so the it's 80s just, We're gonna lather you next time Lather <laughs> you next time you, We're gonna build you a Bond lather <laughs> Uh, uh, the best Tom Cruise movie is Cocktail.
2: I recently right. saw that. that I, I that's you, I want to get your reaction. Cocktail's to that better.
3: Is that the best? Is that peak TC the,
2: the fact that he could make a movie about a bartender that good and, and make it a hundred million dollars. I think it, it's probably it's one of the best that's movies. That's his best of accomplishment. The it's one I don't of know the best, if it's best movie. Hang on, best Tom
3: so. Cruise is a few good men. It's not his movie though. It's Jack's movie. No, it's not. Jack. It, anybody could have played his
0: part. Jack's in it for eleven minutes. Anybody,
3: anybody could have been Tom Cruise in that movie. Any actor, any actor could have played the role of the lawyer. Jack makes the movie. There's no movie without Jack. Jack I'm just telling you, that's like the the calculus of that movie. You could have switched out every character. That to me is not a classic Tom. You can't make Cocktail without Tom Cruise. Correct.
4: You can't make yeah. Top Gun without Tom. What Cruise. about Tropic Thunder? <laughs> That's
1: a good oh, part Les, for
3: Les him. Goodman? Is that yeah. his name? Oh, uh, that's one of my favorite <laughs> TC performances. Yeah, he's, I, he's he's I wouldn't good. call I thought, it a Tom Cruise movie, but no, of course not. <laughs> that is as good as he gets, I would say. Um, You want to share any thoughts about Tom Cruise? Is Tom Cruise in the Bogle effect? <laughs> I'm trying to th- – I have a lot of po- – I have a good Bogle? chunk of pop culture who plays references. Bogle? Who
0: plays
2: Bogle? Um, I, I don't say – well – there is no actor. That said, I do reference that he did look like it. Latter-day Henry Fonda. Mm. Whenever I saw him speak, he always looked like um, on Golden Pond I era. Only,
3: I only saw him once in real life. In I, know who play, I know who
0: plays him. He's dead, though. James Cromwell.
3: James Cromwell is not dead. He's not dead. Spread <laughs> fucking rumors on this podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry, he's alive. I'm <laughs> he saw the movie yesterday. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. I think we're going <laughs> somebody, <I think, laughs>
2: somebody on Twitter the other day said when a, a Gabelli put an ETF out. The track's like automation. It's 95 basis points. And someone's like, if Mario saw this, he'd be rolling over in his grave. And, he's, he's and alive. Mario's
3: on Twitter. <laughs> uh, sorry
2: he's James on Spider. Twitter.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> he'd be rolling his grave because it's not 150 basis points. <laughs> he wouldn't like that 95 stuff. All right. All right let's, uh, let's, let's, let's do favorites and we're going to get out of here. Uh, we're going to Sparks tonight? Yeah. This is going to be a big night. Yeah. somebody take it 20 people Somebody out. might get wild. By whacked. the
2: way, yeah, I'm surprised. We were talking earlier. I'm surprised they don't play up the Gotti thing and put like a. Um, I don't think they want or to. Or have a dish on there that's called. Did, like you the to, did you listen to that podcast, Our Thing? I'm fascinated. It's fascinating. It's, like, it's wow, amazing. It
3: took place
0: here. Did you listen to that podcast? No. Our Thing, Sammy the Bull. It's the best podcast you'll ever listen to.
3: You'll be addicted. You won't really? be able to turn Just, it off. Okay. It's the best podcast I've ever listened to. This dude is like confessing to murders and shit. He's oh, making yeah. it right now.
0: It's called Our Thing. There's a new episode every day. You going back to Philly tonight? I am. Our thing. Okay. You're welcome.
3: Start Sold. Season one, episode you. one. Okay. Um, have Hang on, you
0: Leslie, wo- like Eric, it's, it's the number one feedback I've ever gotten from any recommendation I've ever made.
3: Yeah. It's, hands down. It's, really? It's, yeah. it's okay. Re- yeah. It's insane. And they're going to make a Netflix show out of it, they said, right? That makes sense. Somebody said so. All right. What do you got? Uh, favorites. Oh, uh, I'll start, actually, because okay. I want to say something really nice about my co-host. Um, Michael and Ben, if you're an Animal Spirits listener, you know all about this. But if you're not, Michael and Ben- did an, e- an NFT drop, and you guys worked with Audiograph on that project, right? We did, yes. Okay. So, basically, you took all these memes and fun things from Animal Spirits and the fan base. and Duncan we- and
0: John helped make it.
3: Yeah, Duncan. Look, so, like, some of these are, like, a lot of fun. Um, I really love – Is Dude. that what movie is that? Uh, the Internship. The Internship. Yeah. All right, it's great. The, and what do you got? That one. The, Which, what is that? The jet ski? Yeah, the, the second one. Oh From the upper left. Yeah, yeah, That that's
0: uh old ma- uh, what is that guy? I forget. Old day. Man Yells at Cloud. Yeah, something like that.
3: Okay. <laughs> anyway, they did an they did an NFT drop. So they basically sold pictures to their audience, and a hundred percent of the proceeds went to No Kid Hungry, which is one of our favorite uh charitable um organizations that actually Tyrone Ross originally turned us on to. You guys raised a hundred thousand dollars and No Kid Hungry got hundred thousand dollars. So what happened was? Hold on, no, no, stop, yeah. no. stop, stop, stop. Yes, very stop, stop, stop. I mean, yes. big deal, dude. Thank Imagine, you. Is that is that like the best thing you've ever done in it's your the life? The best thing I've ever done in my life. It really is, yeah. though. I mean, by far. Okay. No, other than having <laughs> I children, that getting many married, things. yes, that's a pretty big deal. Yes. Okay. Without a doubt. Were you, are you blown away by how much money that you guys raised with like basically pictures of each other? I mean, it's like that's like a lot of money. So. But, it don't j- be distracted during this. No, part. no,
0: no! I need to find something. It's important.
3: Okay. So uh, it definitely exceeded my expectations. Multitasking us the whole. Are podcast. all those
2: different prices that fe- they got fetched different prices? I don't no, know. No, no, it's all so so the okay, same. Everything. Okay. Everything is point
0: 0.1 ETH. So the first somehow audiograph reached out to the giving block. So the first twelve point seven of ETH that we sent was matched by the giving block. So that's twenty five ETH right there, which is almost eighty thousand dollars. We ended up selling a total of so far. 22 eth which is almost $70,000. So, we raised well over $100,000 for No Kid Hungry, which is yeah, it's f- incredible. I can't believe it. But what I severely say. Se- wait,
3: let's not let's not go too fast over that point. What did they say? What did no, um, no Kid Hungry say? Were they like are you kidding me? Uh yeah, they're very thankful. They're very grateful. I mean, do they normally get like $100,000 donations?
2: I doubt it. What did they out say? Of
3: the blue? Um you know, not enough.
0: That's a good point. <laughs> he's, yeah. Calling, yeah. he's riling
2: me up over yeah. here. I feel like- No, they, no, no. You no, got-
0: no they've, they've, been, they've been great. But um, the thing that I underestimated, so we gave a bunch of, of, of things for this NFT. It's not just the NFT. You get access to our Google Doc, which people seem to love. And what I really underestimated we, was we have a Discord channel. And initially I was like, no, no, no I'm not doing that. I'm not doing it. It's too much work. I have no time for it's that so, in my it's day. It's so annoying. It's so annoying. Yeah. Guess what? None of those things are true. The Discord is vibrant and lively. We've got a million channels and people are engaging like all day long without our supervision. So I pop in here and there and say, hey, blah, 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 blah. Like, it's
3: awesome. I I thought it was
4: going to be a chore. It's fun. Like, getting on that it's Discord fun. is fun. What is it? Like yeah. a private Twitter, basically? It's, it's more like Slack, honestly. Like a it private is, Slack. It is more like so Slack. So, look, we've got we've got
0: finance and bullshit. <laughs> under bullshit is just data, crimes, recommendations, podcast questions. And under finance is is markets, personal finance, real estate, look crypto. These,
3: look at all these people. How many people are members of the Animal Spirits Discord? It's a, lot. a lot. It's a, a lot. lot. And it
0: goes all day. People are, like, sharing, like, personal stuff. It, like, it's it's. F- I gave awesome. French cafe recommendations Dude, to how, how much time do you I'm spend going on? In.
2: Discord versus it's, Twitter?
0: I'm on, I mean- I, I i'm not in, i'm uh, you, i'm not in discord a lot i I, not. I i pop in and i i read the comments and i twitter
3: say, is more your main are you verified in animals like how do people know yeah, it's yeah, definitely because yeah, yeah. because because you're a founder yeah. of it so they know me so what if i go in there and put just, your cell phone number it's
0: so much more it's so much it's so much more eric it's so you, much oh, it's so ahead. much more
3: pleasant duncan are you in
4: the discord, discord? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah oh my god what are you doing That's what I'm saying. Well, i literally i gave someone uh paris uh cafe recommendations
2: I
0: do not spend much time on Twitter these days. It's just, I, I, it's, I
2: sometimes go to LinkedIn to feel good for a while. Yeah. Uh, just, to, you know, people are like, oh, great job. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. Well, you're not, you
3: ain't getting that on Twitter. No, no definitely it's just, not. It's no. just too brutal.
2: Yeah. LinkedIn's like going to your like grandma's, getting a home cooked meal. Yeah. And you go back out to the streets. Uh, um, Listen, right. I wanted to. Thank I wanted you. to
3: say congratulations. I think that's like an amazing uh, accomplishment. Yes. I th- yeah, yeah. Really. That's Thank cool, you. man. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, by the
0: way, last thing I'll say. I, I spent like five minutes on the no Kid Hungry website just poking around. Like I was like literally almost in tears. It's just the fact that this is like a real thing that there's kids hungry is just beyond horrifying. So the fact that we could get them so much money is just means like
3: you know a lot. All right. Yeah. I don't like. I don't like the fact that there are hungry kids. That shit pisses me off. Um,
0: so. Okay. So uh, my recommendation on the way in this morning, I was listening to Lindsay How to as a podcast, Panic with Friends. He was on with Sina Nadir. I hope I'm pronouncing the name right. He is the guy that did all of the branding for FTX. And he was telling the story of the pitch to Larry David (sighs) and what that looked like. And so he says to Larry, like, do you like want to know like about blockchain, whatever? And Larry's like, yeah, all right, what is it? So he goes, (laughs) it's like a spreadsheet in the sky where it keeps track of everyone and who owns what. And Larry's like, okay. Meh. He's like, like, meh. Yeah. Imagine being a fly on the wall to see Larry <laughs> David like, get pissed. Like, Alright,
3: big deal. Yeah. How much are you paying me? Yeah.
0: How much do they pay him? Do we know? I did not want to throw out a number. I saw it, but I wasn't sure if that was verified or not.
3: Anyway, probably a lot. All right. Eric, is there anything you're reading or watching or listening to that you would recommend to the audience before we get out of here?
2: Um, you guys I'll go with Netflix. Uh, I, I saw thought, the I swear I thought he was gonna say the Bogle effect.
1: <laughs> no, by, uh, by I'm Eric not that Bout
3: bad.
2: <laughs> I already triple diffed during this interview, so i What I'll... are you watching? Uh, it's this, it's a, like one of those limited series called Archive 81. Never heard of it. I saw, I saw it, but I scrolled
3: past it cause I never heard, I didn't know what it was.
2: It's really cool. It's about a guy who has to, um, restore old videotapes, mm. which I love that concept. It works at, like the museum and he, and he's hired to restore these old tapes that were burnt in a fire in like this building in like, uh, Harlem or something. And he starts to just, like the videotapes have some like effed up stuff going on. It's like on. a crime on it. And it's, and then it's like, that's eight, in like the 90s. Like 8mm. And the, the tapes were from the 90s. So it's him sort of dealing with stuff going on in the 90s that he's discovering while he's in this cabin like trying to restore these tapes. I won't go into it, but just really cool, creepy, a little dark, if you like dark and sinister. Love dark and sinister. Uh, The characters are good. Is Tom Cruise in it? He is not.
3: Okay, pass. (laughs) No Tom Cruise. Hard pass. All right, listen, this has been a really fun show. The time just flew by. We're going to take like a five-minute break and do part two. So you can... This is our 53rd episode. You can refresh your water. <laughs> this is this is our 41st episode?
4: Yeah? I believe that's right. Yeah. All right, yeah. John, I know
3: you, I gave you a lot to edit, so we'll end here, and we'll give you some time to cut some stuff out before what? Duncan, what's up? What's up? The review. Oh, I always Oh, forget. by the way,
4: yeah,
2: yeah. I, I love the old school Denver hat.
3: No, it's not Denver. It's I, Durham Bulls. Yeah, that's what I thought. Oh, I thought even was, better.
0: I thought it was Denver, too. Yeah, did you? Who the hell are the Durham Bulls? They're oh, come on, on a Bull. minor league baseball team in Bull Durham. Durham?
3: He's from... You Cal- haven't seen He's Bull th- Durham? Overrated
0: overrated
2: that's a good movie okay, about baseball I get
4: it I saw it for the first time when I was 36 my bad uh, it's not a great movie I mean they're not as good as the Greensboro Bats were but you know very very good minor league like,
3: dude it's not great and like it's a it's, it's a very very heavy dose of Susan Sarandon the on top Sarandon of the Sarandon Costner thing is weird too much <laughs> Okay, no way out. That's a movie that holds up. All it's, right, we're not I, we're not doing this. I, I,
4: I have a good I have a good review Go ahead, for us. We do to review. But, okay, we'll so, do this later. So to be clear, we get we get too many just like super nice ones, which is great, and I love it. But um, but this one's kind of fun. So uh, it's from Must Love Orcs, and the uh, subject is hug a Yankee today. A Hobbit fan. Yeah, uh, hug a Yankee today. I am a poor schmuck in Texas who will inherit some investable money in a few years. I, I know nothing bullshit. about investing. Nobody in
3: Texas knows the word schmuck. <laughs> There's, there's, what are they? Twelve Jews in Texas? Oh no one is speaking Yiddish in Texas. <laughs> okay. I'm calling, I'm calling bullshit right now.
4: Uh, I I know nothing about investing, which is why I started listening to you. I first heard Josh on Big Technology podcast. Aside from the money, Josh and the other New Yorkers are entertaining and fit every stereotype about New York that has ever been in movies <laughs> or on television. All I right. keep pinching myself when I hear humans actually talking that way. The other New Yorkers. <laughs> That said, you all build trust, and I would rather lose my fortune taking your advice than from any other starched NBA stiff in a high rise. A but weird. we love you. Come back. Compliments. Come to Texas sometime for some good barbecue.
3: I have been to Texas, and I will, and I will return. One of my favorite places. That's a really nice review. Send that. Send that uh, gentleman a sticker with my compliments. And send him the Bogle effect. And send him a copy of the Bogle effect. <laughs> maybe, maybe Did a New York. barbecue you sign New York, sign New York barbecue. Or I can. I didn't want to presume. Dude, come on. Get us a, I'll get a Sharpie. To, all right, listen. Okay. Uh, thanks so much for listening. You guys are an amazing audience. Thank you for all the reviews, all the ratings. Thank you for following our new TikTok account, which is at the Compound News on TikTok. Me and Nicole very much appreciate that. We're going to have some fun stuff up on there for those of you so inclined. Um, new animal spirits coming Monday and Wednesday. And another all new, the Compound and Friends next week. See you then. Thanks to Eric. Thanks John. Thanks Nicole. Thanks Duncan. Take us out. All right, you feel good? You ready to do this? By the way, the music. Got um, the butterflies out.
2: Yeah, no, this right. good. All right, hit record. I, I, <laughs>
1: it's very easy talking. me is very.